Welcome, everybody. Just wanted to take a chance to uh, celebrate the death of the process. Okay. Everybody's like, what did you think tonight? What do you think's going on? You know, I'm I'm not upset. I'm actually happy because this has been a nine-year debacle from the get-go. Everything about the process is what was wrong with sports. Everything that went wrong with the process was shown that a bunch of nerds who have no business being in sports made decisions to destroy an entire franchise for a decade. Okay? And I say that, again, I played high school basketball. I coached college basketball. I'm not sitting here claiming to be an NBA All-Star. But when you Google Daryl Morey playing career, you get nothing. When you Google, uh, what's his name, playing career, you get nothing. You know why? Because there are a bunch of nerds that don't know shit about sports. Okay? We've had nine years of this. Nine years. Okay? And in all sincerity, what happened tonight was a disgrace. What happened tonight was an absolute disgrace. And I'm going to break it all down into multiple parts of why the process sucks. Okay? First of all, first and foremost, the Sixers draft history in the process, which started in 2016, okay, has been abysmal. They've had 40-some draft picks since the process started in 2012. That's when they started it. When they lost to the second round of the playoffs, you know, they, Hanky said, let's try this, okay? Here's the names of the guys they drafted since 2012. Justin Hamilton and Maurice Harkless. They both suck. In the second round in 2013, they got Michael Carter-Williams, who was an average player, decent player, not an impact player. They traded him. He ended up being decent, but they traded him. We got Glenn Rice Jr. and Pierre Jackson. Those guys never did a thing. 2014, we get Russ Smith from Louisville, who is like four feet tall. We got Alfred Payton, who wasn't very good. He ended up having a decent career elsewhere, but not an impact guy with the 10th pick in the draft. K.J. McDaniel, who Jeremy Grant bounced around, but not an impact player. Like I said, Russ, Russ Smith, he's about 4'11". And then two foreigners who never played a day in the NBA, Vasily Mikic and Namaji Dangbujic, I guess you say. Okay, so then we finally get it right in 14, okay, we get Embiid. The rest of that year, we drafted Luka Mitrov, J.P. Uh, Tokoto, Artuis Gordatis. Like, we're just burning picks. We're literally making up, like, foreigners to draft. Making up people that don't even... I don't even know if these are real people at this point who we're drafting. I never heard of them before they got drafted. I never saw them after they got drafted. And we're just burning picks. Rakan Holmes from Bowling Green. Oh, great, great, good pick. Willie Hernan- Hermanguez from Spain. Okay, and then we get Jaleel Okafor in 2015. We, we, we don't play him well, we trade him. Okay, we, got, we get Korsma in 16. And we got Simmons in 16. 
And we also got Timothy Luawe Karabat, whoever the fuck that is. Okay, I mean, here, listen to the names that we're reading here, guys. Listen to the names. Okay, and again, I don't hate the Simmons pick in 16. It was the right pick. He was the best potential in the draft in 16. I'll get to Simmons later, but I don't hate the pick. 2017, we go Markel Fultz. We traded up over. We could have taken Jason Tatum, and we traded the Celtics picks so to move up to take Markel Fultz. I mean, if you want to talk about one of the shiny examples of how fucking terrible the process was, we'll go there. Then we take Jonah Bolden from Australia, whoever that is. Jawan Evans from Oklahoma State. I mean, Sterling Brown from Southern Methodist. Like, I, I, I don't even, I, I don't, I mean, I know college basketball. These guys weren't factors. These guys weren't real, real people to be drafting. All right. And then let's go, let's go to 2018. Let's go to 2018. Who do we take in 18? We finally make a good draft pick. We take Mikhail Bridges. And what do we do? We send him to Phoenix on draft night. You know what he does now? He starts for the best team in the NBA. And he'd been perfect on this roster. Landry Shamit, decent player, you know, not a, not a, doesn't move the needle, but he's a good pick. I'll take that. Kyrie Thomas from Creighton, a point guard. I mean, like Ray Spaulding from Louisville. Like, I don't even know what we're doing. Again, I know the game and I don't know any of these fucking guys. I really don't. Like, not in the NBA, not like, not to be serious. And then we take, Ty Jerome in the first round in 2019. Like, Ty Jerome's never played a minute for the Sixers. First round pick. Lit it on fire. Carson Edwards from Purdue. Never paid a minute for the Sixers. Light that pick on fire. Then we got a couple, you know, Admiral Schofield. Light that pick on fire. Paul Reed plays for us right now. And Tyrese Maxey. Tyrese Maxey is the only good pick in the entire process. They took him at 21. That was a good pick. I'll take that. That was a good pick. I'll say that. So now I've read, I've read guys like almost nine years of draft picks and I can't, none of those guys have ever impacted the win column other than Embiid and Maxi. in all sincerity. So let's start there. The whole point is to tank to get draft picks. Tank to get draft picks to get good players. We drafted 41 guys in nine years, and three out of 41 were any good. That's what happens when you have nerds who've never played the fucking game in their life making decisions about draft picks. Okay? So, you know, that's it. Like, what are we going to say? Oh, you know, Elton Brand was involved. Okay, Elton Brand's from Duke. And I can tell you this on a, I put my hand on a Bible and say this out loud. Anyone associated with Duke basketball other than Mike Shashevsky and Mike Bray have been colossal failures anywhere else they've gone. They've never won. They've never been successful. They are colossal failures. And if you want me to go through the list, I can. I can go through every assistant coach who was on Mike Bray's, I mean, on Mike Krzyzewski's bench that moved on to become a head coach, and none of them 
were even remotely successful in their new jobs. Johnny Dawkins couldn't win at Stanford. Wojo got fired at Marquette, never got out of the first round of the tournament. Chris Collins went to the tournament at Northwestern with somebody else's team, hasn't been back since. David Henderson destroyed the Delaware basketball program. Who else, who else we got to do? Jeff Capel got fired at Oklahoma for cheating and goes about three and a thousand at Pittsburgh every year now. Uh, who else? I mean, let's go down the list. Other than Mike Bray, who was there for f- four years in the heyday and then got the Delaware job, no one's even come close. Come close to. Oh, Quinn Snyder got fired at Missouri after getting fired for cheating and being part of a federal investigation probe that had uh, the uh, that had Myron Piggy thrown in jail for the AAU coach for taking money and wire fraud and all that stuff. So yeah, I mean, Tommy. Okay, so wait. Okay, okay. Tommy Amaker won at Seton Hall. He got Shaheen Holloway and Eddie Griffith to come to Seton Hall. Magically and improbably come to Seton Hall. But somehow he's such a great recruiter, those two decided to go to Seton Hall out of nowhere, local kids. Then he parlays that into Michigan. And I've been alive since 1982. And the only guy to not win at Michigan since Steve Fisher has been Tommy Amaker. I find that odd. I wonder why that is. Maybe because they were on probation from Fisher and Tommy Amaker couldn't cheat when he was there to get players. Could be wrong. I don't know. Spec Again, speculation. Tommy Amaker's done a great job at, at Harvard, so I don't want to say you know he's been a colossal failure. He was, he's was he been really good. He's been in a bunch of tournaments. He won a lot of games when Will Wade was on his staff. I'll give him credit for that. He had good assistance back in the day, especially Will Wade. We all know what happened with Will Wade. So do the math there, guys. Do the math. But, yeah, I mean, the the process is a colossal failure. But let's talk about why it's a colossal failure. Besides the fact that it's it's been run by losers, to be honest, the entire thing, the entire concept is set up to be a, a bunch of fucking losers. Like... You're going to go in and you're going to try to lose games for th- – we lost games for three or four years trying to lose games. And, you know, we hired Brett Brown. Brett Brown I thought was the worst coach on the planet, but I'm going to back that back backtrack on that because I think Doc Rivers is worse because at least Brett, when Brett Brown was losing, he was trying to lose. You know, Doc Rivers was trying to win, and he was worse. His rotations were worse. His adjustments were worse. His in-game decisions were, I mean, just really bad. Just really bad. But let's talk about Brett Brown. Let's start Let's start with Brett Brown. Brett Brown was a first-time head coach, okay? And that's not easy at any level. It could be a 7th and 8th grade team or a freshman basketball team or NBA. Well, you're a first-time head coach. You're learning how to win, okay? You're, you're, you're making mistakes you're correcting them. You're learning how to win. But you know when you're not doing that? You're not doing that when you're fucking losing on purpose. Okay? So all the times and all the struggles and all the things and all that go wrong and all the things that Brett Brown should have learned from in his first two or three years as a head coach in this league, 
He didn't. You know why? Because he was trying to fucking lose on purpose. So when it was time to be good and it was time to execute, he was nowhere to be found because he wasn't learning how to coach for three years. He was learning how to lose. He was literally the definition of a loser. I'm trying to lose. Okay, let's and let's put this let's put this in perspective. They tried to get Brian Flores to tank when he was in the Dolphins. Like they tried to get Brian Flores to lose games on purpose so they could get better players last year. He said, "Fuck you, I'll never do it." And he ended up winning seven of his last eight games, and he got fired for it, which is even worse. And that's a whole nother podcast. That's a whole nother bag of issues. But you're either a winner or a loser. If you're willing to walk into a job, especially your first job, and sign off on losing on purpose to get draft picks, you're a fucking loser. Okay? And it showed up time and time and time again in the Brett Brown era. Okay? So then when we finally get good, when we finally get it going and got to the place where we needed it, we lose on a brutal, heartbreaking, double-bounce jump shot in Game 7 of the second round of Toronto. That was a tough loss. But that team, all we had to do was bring that team back. Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, J.J. Redick, Joel Embiid, and Tobias Harris. The best starting five in basketball, and it wasn't close. And instead, the losers in the front office, guided by the biggest loser on the planet, Brett Brown, decide that Jimmy Butler has to go and we need to keep Brett Brown and Ben Simmons. And we all, again, we're, again, you don't need hindsight is twenty twenty. You don't need this is wrong. You don't need, oh, maybe if we knew. No, we knew. Jimmy Butler in the last three years since they made that decision has been to the Eastern Conference Finals twice now. And he's been to the Finals once, and he's probably going to go back. Everybody loves Milwaukee and Boston. I think the Heat are going back. I think Kyle Lowry's going to get healthy. I think they're going to go back. And even more importantly, Joel Embiid's dog was Jimmy Butler. So the one guy that your best player wanted to rock with and wanted to go to war with in Jimmy Butler you decide to get rid of for Tobias Harris. And then you go sign, who'd they sign? Al Horford, who gave us, like, nothing. No, Al Horford stole a check from the Sixers for a season and a half before now he's playing again. But for a season and a half, Al Horford stole a max deal from the Sixers because they chose to go with Brett Brown, who's the biggest loser ever. Again, he couldn't coach because he never learned how to. Because he spent his first four years when you're developing just trying to lose games. And then when he got good, we wonder why he couldn't fucking coach. It's because he never tried to win in the first place. But that's, again, that's, that goes to the, the mentality of the process. The, the warpness of the process. And the fact that anybody ever signed off on it. It was an embarrassment to sports at every level. Because it, it disrespected the game. It disrespected the fans, and it disrespected the players who were trying to better themselves and win games and make money. Everything about the process was an abomination. 
And I'm glad that it's finally getting exposed for what it was. But anyway, but anyway, we finally cut bait a year after we made the wrong decision with Jimmy Butler. We get rid of Brett Brown, who's the worst. Okay? And then who do we go get? We get another guy who can't coach, and we get Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers has done one thing in his whole career. Doc Rivers got to coach the first super team made up of free agents, where the first group of guys said, hey, why don't you, me, and him get together and go play? Paul Pierce, KG, Ray Allen, they go to Boston. They win a championship in 18 or 12, whatever it was, 2008. 2008 they won. Okay. But they should have won. They were the best team. They had Rondo. They should have won. Okay. But they should have won four championships. At the end of the day, they won one. They lost two championships to Kobe when the Lakers were inferior. And then ever since then, Doc Rivers has grotesquely underperformed in the playoffs. He's the only guy in the world to blow three. 3-1 3-1 leads in the playoffs. And, and he has excuses. This guy got up in today in the, in the post-game press conference and said, I do a great job. I do a great Like, bro, you just you got nothing out of your team for the last two games. You got run off the court two straight games. You made no adjustments. You inspire no one. You, you don't, you're, 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 your players don't respond to you at all. You you traded for James Harden, who is just not he's not a, he doesn't move the needle. There's a very here's what drives me crazy about the Sixers. There's a very 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 large sample size for James Harden not getting it done, not being aggressive, folding in the playoffs, playing scared, playing soft. Grab it. again. Who did you think you were getting? We have this isn't like this isn't conjecture now. Like this isn't first take. This isn't guys making shit up. It's a very, very, very large sample size. I don't live game to game. I live se- series to series and season to season. Okay. James Harden has been in this league for thirteen years, and. You know, he was great in the finals with OKC. That was a long time ago, guys. A long time ago. His performance in Houston shows that he's not really the guy. He's not the guy you want to go to war with in the playoffs. And that's fine. He's a great player. I'm not saying he's not talented. I'm not not saying he's a good player. But I'm saying, if you're going to make a massive trade midseason, when you were playing well, like, let's, let's, let's retroactively look back. After James Harden didn't score in the second half tonight, would you rather have Seth Curry and Andre Drummond to play with that group? Because we were winning enough games. That's what drives me crazy. They should have just left Ben Simmons on the bench, bankrupted his ass, not traded him, told him to go fuck himself, took all of his money, and played with what we had. Because what the Sixers had was good enough. And it's actually better than with James Harden. So you break your team up mid-year, destroy the flow and rhythm of the team for no reason. 
And again, I'm not surprised by this. I said that the minute he got traded, we're not getting out of the second round with James Harden. And I, I agree with that. But I just, I, you just have to understand this process, the process, has been so toxic at every single level. And it's bad for the game, and I'm glad it failed. I've I'm I've been a Sixer fan. I was born in 1982. They won in 83, so I don't remember that. I'm not sure I'm ever going to see them win a championship as long as I'm alive, because the decision making and the and the and the thing is just crazy. It's just wrong. It's just it's just you can't have nerds run the show. Again, like I said, if you look up Sam Hankey playing career, you won't find anything on Google. If you look up Daryl Morey playing career, you won't find anything on Google. If you look up Pat Riley playing career, you'll find a guy who won national championships in Kentucky, who played in the NBA, and then et cetera, et cetera. When you look up Jerry West playing career, et cetera. Et cetera. Again, the guys who win all the time, they played. You could, you know, Howie Roseman. He's made some good things. But Howie Roseman blew how many receiver picks in the last three years? He doesn't know shit. He made some good trades. He got us a bunch of draft picks, and they did okay. Okay? But, like, Howie Roseman's the same thing. Stop saying that guys who didn't play know what the fuck they're talking about because they don't. All right? Again, do I think I'm qualified to be an NBA GM? Absolutely fucking lutely not. No, I can't go run your team. Now, could I be a part of your front office and add some value? I always say, yes, I could. But that's because I'm smart. No, I'm not smart enough to run your fucking team. But you've got to get guys who want to win, who love the game. Like Ben, the whole Ben Simmons thing, I've touched on this before. He's just a loser. And that's fine. But you, the problem with the Ben Simmons thing was you knew exactly who he was. And then you gave him a max deal anyway. This is a guy who broke his foot and couldn't play for the first year. Okay, we're in the process. I understand that. We're in the process. So hold him out, make him get healthy, all good. But you would think, like Embiid did, if he couldn't play for a year, he would stand his ass on the free throw line and learn how to shoot a fucking foul shot. He's now six years into his his career. He can't score. He can't make a free throw. He can't make a jump shot. He never got better the entire time under his rookie contract. And your response to that was, let's give him the most money humanly fucking possible and get rid of Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler. That was your response. Nerds in basketball. Get rid of the nerds. And finally, I'll say this. I love Joel Embiid. The guy plays his balls off for the city of Philadelphia. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. He's out there with a broken face. He's out there giving up his body. He's out there playing for the city. He understands Philadelphia. He understands what the fans mean to Philadelphia. He gives himself and the love that they deserve. But he, unfortunately, does not inspire people around him. And that's okay. That's a rarity. That's why the great ones are the great ones. Okay? But Jimmy Butler was a G who got people in line. He he dealt with shit. Jimmy Butler was like the bad, bad Leroy Brown that Joel Embiid needed because he wasn't that guy 
you know, in the locker room to like crackheads call people out. Again, it's fine. Again, not not everybody's built like that. You know, Tim Duncan wasn't built like that, but he had guys around him, pop built a team around him to just, he didn't have to be that guy. All right. But like Joel Embiid, he's only got two or three years left of his prime. And I love his, I love the guy, but he, he's, he's always hurt. He's a big man carrying a lot of weight on bad feet. And he, and he's always fallen down. Like he falls down a lot. Like that's the only bad thing I can say about his game. He's always fallen down. So if you're always falling down, there's always more of a chance you can get hurt. And that's okay. But the window for Joel Embiid to be successful is about two more years. And in all seriousness, the only guy in my eyes who's untradeable for the Sixers is Tyrese Maxey. Because Tyrese Maxey's going to be a 15-year pro, and he's going to make a couple All-Star games. You know, I've been following this kid since he was in Kentucky. I didn't love him in Kentucky, but I love him now. You know, he just loves the big moment. He loves the big shot. He's not afraid. He's a winner. Okay? So what I'm saying is, is like, I, I, I'm just glad the process is over because it is a failure. It is a monumental failure that sports should never try to replicate. You should never, ever, ever try to teach a bunch of guys to fucking lose for three years and then wonder why they can't win. When you act like losers, you become losers. It breeds losing. It breeds negativity. It breeds lack of accountability. Everything about the process was a failure designed by a bunch of fucking nerds who never played a day in their life. So if we could do two things in sports now, if we could respect the game and compete, and what I think we should do, I'll wrap it up with this. The What the NBA should do is this. They should add two expansion teams, get to 32 teams. 16 teams make the playoffs. The other 16 teams go to Vegas at the end of the year for the week after. And there is a sweet 16 win in advance for the number one pick. That's how we do it. You're playing for the number one pick in the draft and see how many people want to tank. See how many people want to be shitty when the number one pick's on the line. Everybody will put their best foot forward to have the best chance that if they don't make the playoffs to get the number one pick. That's how you that's how you increase competitiveness in the NBA. But you you incentivize failure, you incentivize losing, you incentivize lack of competition. All right. But and I'll tell you what, we all know from the play in tournaments that these games rate. The the sweet sixteen for the number one pick to me, is way more compelling than a first-round series. I'd watch those four games, you know, 15 games before I watch a first-round series. Make these guys play. That's, so that's the, to me, that's the answer. Two expansion teams, put one in Seattle, put one in Vegas, move Memphis back to the east, and then let's go. 16-16, and 8-8, eight and eight, and then you're playing for a number one pick every year. Ratings bonanza, neutral floor, you know, have a bubble. It would be NCAA-level excitement. Everybody, you know, one game, winner take all. That's the way to fix the NBA to me. But we got to stop letting guys who've never played a day in their life be involved 
making major decisions. It's really bad. It hurts the game. And I just wish that, you know, I'm just glad this shit's over because we learned definitively tonight it's got no chance, it's not going anywhere, and we got to move forward and make the NBA a better product. You guys have a good night. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Had to get that off my chest. It's been a while since I did one of these, but, you know, the whole the whole process just bothers me. You know, and like I said, I'm glad they lost. I'm a diehard Sixer fan, but I don't let them into my heart because I know what's going to happen. I knew this was going to happen. You can't, you can't breed losing and then expect them to win. So that's just the way it is, guys. Have a good night.